All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. So let me, uh, let me open this up with a word of prayer. We'll still have some people coming on in, that's okay. Yeah, Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for each relationship that is represented here this morning. And Lord, as we look to your word, I, uh, as we look to your word uh, for how to build our relationships, I, I pray that you will uh, soften our hearts and open our ears, that uh, our marriages will reflect you. And we'll glorify you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, sometimes it's kind of difficult to separate the conflict talk from the intimacy talk. Nothing harder than uh, trying to crawl through a barbed wire fence in the dead of night. <laughs> so, we were gone last week. Michael and Kathy filled in for us. Anybody here go to the, to the marriage conference? Y'all did. Y'all did. What did you think? Did you enjoy it? Yeah. Let me encourage you, if you haven't gone, the good news is there are several of them that are going to occur around Texas within an easy drive. Oklahoma City, Austin, San Antonio, Houston. So it's still not too late. It's uh, one of the best things that you can do for uh, your marriage. So let me just review very quickly. So we started out talking about how, how do we go the distance in our marriage and, and how do we thrive while doing it. And we were talking about what we want to do is we want to wind up as highly satisfied and, and highly stable marriages. Okay. Well, if you were at the conference last weekend, they talked about the same thing, that at some point we're going to need to start to make intentional choices about our marriage because the default are our natural choices. So what they would have said, it, they would have said it this way. Our intentional choices are choices that are going to create oneness in our marriage. And if you think about that, to become one, but you also think about the flip side of it. You can kind of think about our natural choices are going to cause the opposite of oneness, which is isolation. We begin to drift apart. So that's, that's the whole premise that we've been talking from. And we talked about, all right, so we need to be intentional in our marriage, so what do we need to be intentional about? And we've looked at two different categories and some of these components. We looked at we need to lower the risk in our marriage, and we've talked about some of these, and we need to raise protection. We started with one side of the coin, commitment. We talked about communication in terms of lowering our risk. And then today we're going to talk about three more, conflict resolution, problem-solving, and ultimately, forgiveness. So, what we're going to do today is try to do two things in terms of conflict. The first is to sort of explore conflict on, on a whole. That is to say, kind of a big picture. The anatomy of a conflict. What's going on amidst the turmoil? And then second, we're going to look at some skills to help guide us through a conflict or, or a process of getting through this, this conflict. So let me start with something that's fundamental. I want you to turn to your spouse, okay, and I want you to say these words. You are not my enemy. Okay? <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Turn. You are not my enemy. Now what I want you to do is turn to your spouse, and I want you to say something that you so – tell them something that you admire about them, something that is positive about them, okay? Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, as we begin to get into conflict, have you ever experienced a conflict or maybe it was a situation that as you look at it today, it's funny, but could have been trouble back when. I uh, I remember a time in, in our marriage. Um, actually, it was early in our marriage. About a week into our marriage. About a week into our marriage, <laughs> actually, yeah. So I, I'm uh, I'm sitting on the bed in, in the apartment, and I'm cutting a piece of, of leather with a very sharp hunting knife. And Edie comes through the bedroom. 
And as she passes through on her way to the bathroom, she sees what I'm doing. And she says in that tone of voice, you're going to cut yourself. Well, I think, what does she know about leather work? I used to work in a saddle shop, okay? About that time, I plunged the knife into my leg, okay? Well, I pull it out, all right? I pull my pants down to see how bad the damage is, and it's pretty bad. So I have clamped down now on my leg, okay? And I'm waddling, all right, through the, through the bedroom into the bathroom. I pass the queen. She's sitting on her throne, okay? <laughs> and I get into the bathtub to get some elevation on my leg. And at this point, okay, imagine a scene from The Godfather. I'm talking blood everywhere, all right? My life is draining from me. And she says very calmly as she looks over from the throne, told you you were going to cut yourself. <laughs> well, it was pretty hard to be sympathetic with a stubborn man. <laughs> well, we want to show you an example of why you might want to learn to recognize quickly that you have a conflict and secondly, how to resolve conflict. <laughs> Valentine's Day was last week. Kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? <laughs> well, we're going to talk about uh, this, this idea of loops, loops in, in conflict. And Dr. Gary Rosberg, he and his wife are actually on America's Family Coaches. I think they're on the radio here. Um, okay. Well, Dr. Rosberg has counseled hundreds and hundreds of, of couples, and he began to notice something. The faces were different, the, the stories were different, but he began to notice a common sequence of events that was occurring during this conflict, and he began to describe this sequence as open loops and closed loops. And so the decision that you make after somebody has offended you is going to dictate whether you have a closed loop or whether you remain with an open loop. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sort of give you some of the basics of the process. And, and I will tell you right up front that it will seem just a little bit mechanical to you, okay? You're going to go, yeah, right, I'm going to do this every time we have a conflict. That's not the idea. The idea is to break down the steps involved in the process to help you understand what's going on and to help you not skip the steps. It's kind of like this. When my daughters, uh, many years ago, we had a boat, and it was time to, to start teaching them how to water ski. And I had grown up on a pair of skis. So for me to teach them how to water ski, I actually had to get in the water on a, two pair of, a pair of skis and to get up a few times and to pay attention to what I was naturally doing, because I had long forgotten the process, okay? That, that's what we're trying to do here. So, how many of you, in the last six months, have offended your spouse, okay? Yeah, I'm thinking those that didn't raise their hand might ought to check. <laughs> you might ought to check your toothbrush if you didn't raise your hand, is what I'm thinking. Well, the first step... And this loop is the offense itself, okay? James 4, verses 1 and 2. You might want to just jot these down on, in your handout. I forgot to put all the scriptures in the handout. So, sorry about that. <laughs> James 4, 1 and 2. I don't says have this. any. I couldn't get in the office to get them. What causes I mean, quarrels? I'm sorry? I'm looking for pen. Oh, pen. Go ahead. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Well, all of us have offended somebody that we live with, right? I mean, you think about it, you've got two sinful people on this journey called marriage. It's going to happen over and over again. Well, the offense starts an open loop of conflict in our relationship. So, there's an offense. And that offense leads to an emotional response. Now, I want you to think for, with me. What do you think that emotional response generally is? Is it anger? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, we, we normally think of anger, and it results in an open loop. Well, 
anger is something that we can all relate to. But many of us skip the primary emotion. There's a primary emotion. Anger is actually the secondary emotion. Yeah, the primary emotion is hurt. Yeah. And why don't people dwell on the hurt? Why do we dwell on the anger? I think it's because anger is much easier. It kind of gives us a sense of control over the other person or the situation. Um, it gives you a sense of I am right and you are wrong. But I think the problem is if you look behind the anger, you're going to see some other emotions that maybe you don't identify readily. Several years ago, um, it many was Christmas. Yeah, it was many years ago. It was Christmas. We had a lot of extended family visiting with us to celebrate the holidays, and Brian had a huge array of gifts under the tree for me. And I was so excited because I love surprises, so I was all this anticipation was building, and it came my turn to get one of the gifts, and I unwrapped it, and I it was a book about power walking. And I, okay, it's nice. I've been doing the treadmill lately, and he said, that'll help you on the treadmill. Thank you. Okay. So the next gift I opened up, okay, this one's going to be really good. I opened it up, and it was a set of hand weights. And Brian says, that's to help you with your workout. Thank you. So I'm still remaining calm. The next one, I opened it up, and it was a toaster. (laughs) And Brian says proudly to me, because he thinks this is just great, that's going to help you not burn the toast anymore. (laughs) Okay, it's starting to well up. All right. The next gift I open, and if you knew me well, you'd know how significant this is, was a Franklin Day planner. And Brian says so sweetly, this is going to help you get your life organized. To which I exploded. (laughs) That was it. You know, clenched teeth to the bedroom, Buster. And so. (laughs) At that point, I'm thinking. Yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> so as I was telling, I, I mean, I was just so angry, and I started telling him, you really hurt me in front of my family. It really hurt me that you think you've got to fix me, that I'm not good enough. And it started dawning on me that really what had happened was he had hurt me, and that then resulted in anger. And he had no intention of hurting me. He thought he was doing something really great. Now, the thing is, this was many years ago. He was a much younger and less wise man. <laughs> We've both learned from that. <laughs> I still have a very nice leather-bound Franklin planner. In the kind of thing. I put it on eBay. Oh. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> anyway, if you look beyond the anger, look beneath the anger, probably what you're going to find is another emotion, either hurt, disappointment, fear, something else like that that really triggers the anger. <clears throat> So when there is anger, when you get to that point, you've got two choices. You're either going to close the loop, and we're going to show you how to do that, and you're going to choose to love your spouse regardless. You're going to put your spouse and your relationship over the issue at hand, over the anger. Or you're going to allow that loop to stay open and put your relationship at risk. So we've got to learn how to close the loop. And when you get to this point, then there is a fork in the road in your relationship where you've got to make that decision one way or the other. So we come to this fork in the road, and we do have a decision to make. Do you let the conflict go unresolved, or are you going to try to resolve it? So let's look at just a couple of scriptures that talk about conflict for just a minute. Again, just jot these down. You can look them up later. James 1.20 says this. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. James 1.20. Ephesians 4.26 and 27 says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And so I think on this particular verse in particular, um, I think the principle here is to keep short accounts. Because as you think about this process as we move through the loop, the odds are the offense may be a little too great to solve before physically you, you go to bed, okay? So I think the idea is for us to keep short accounts. Right before you go to sleep is a really bad time, okay, to begin to try to resolve conflict. Well, if you need to put it off, though, agree upon the time, 
but we're going to come back to this and, and talk about it. Well, there's been an offense, and we stand here at this fork in the road, and there's going to be many, 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 many forks in this road as two sinful people take this journey called marriage. And sometimes we just, you know, if you if you think about this, think about it as sort of an intersection, we just blow through the intersection. We don't even know that there was an intersection. We're oblivious to the fact that there's been uh, an offense and that there's now a, a conflict and that all of a sudden there's a funny taste in my toothbrush. <laughs> Sometimes, though, we recognize it and we sort of slow down and we see that there's an intersection and we're making this mental decision. Are we going to let this slide? Are we going to resolve it? Well, you can take Route 1, and Route 1 is to close the loop. Or you can take Route 2. And Route 2 sometimes looks like the easier road, and that is to just let it go. Well, are you going to resolve it, or are you going to let it go? One of the most critical factors that's going to affect us at this point in, in the road, so to speak, is the word commitment. Remember, we've already talked about the other side of, of that coin, commitment. Um, you need to know that your spouse is committed to doing whatever it takes to get through the conflict. And, and so what I would say to you is that if you're using the divorce word when you're having conflict, okay, you need to stop. Because what you're doing is this. You are working without a net, this, this business of, of, of resolving conflict, it's a tricky business at best between two sinful people, and you're going to get it wrong a lot of the time. So I need to know from her, is there a net here? Because I might not say and do the, I mean, you've already figured this out. I don't say and do the right things a lot of the time, okay? And, but, but even when I'm trying, I need to know that there's this net that's going to catch me, that's going to catch her. Okay, if we fail in this. Well, the safety net that I'm talking about is, is, is commitment. Um, Dr. William Daughtery has said this about commitment. He said, we cling to it during the dark nights of the soul that come to nearly every marriage, times when the love is hard to feel. But the promise keeps us together. You know, you may feel at points along this journey that you've reached the end of your rope in, in your relationship. And I want to give you kind of a, a, a picture of what clinging to, what clinging to commitment looks like. You know, some of you have heard the, the phrase, I, I've reached the end of my rope. And generally, when that's used in the context of a, a relationship, it means I don't have any hope anymore. Well, when you reach the end of your rope, okay, there's only one thing to do, right? Let go. Or, in the context of your marriage, what you can do is you can cling to the knot that you find tied at the end of your rope. And that knot that you find tied is the knot that you tied when you first got married. This knot represents your vow until death does us part. And so this is what you're going to cling to, okay, as you're trying to resolve this conflict. Remember, we had talked in the very first session about commitment, and we talked about, well, so how does God see it? God sees your marriage as a permanent, lifelong commitment, okay? And, you know, the odds are in a group this size, there, there's somebody that may be struggling here, and you may be physically standing at this fort, trying to decide, are we going to let go, or are we going to keep on keeping on? And we just want to encourage you that there is hope. Michael and Kathy talked about it last week, about coming back from the brink of divorce. God's still in the business of reconciling marriages, of changing hearts. We just want to say to you, hang on. You know, research bears this out as well. Um, several years ago, they did a study on Couples who were unhappy in their marriage. And they, they asked couples, well, they, they looked at couples that were, they said they were very unhappy or unhappy in their marriage. 
And then they looked at the same couples again five years later. And you know what they found? 85% of those same couples now said we're happy in our marriage. Remember the marriage satisfaction chart that we talked about the very first time? Stuff's going to happen. Okay? Hang on. Well, once you've decided, you've, you've decided that we're going to go down route number one, we're going to close the loop, what do you do? Well, the first is you need to prepare your heart. And let me encourage you to do a, a couple of things as we begin the process of preparing our heart. The first is, what does Scripture have to say about conflict? Okay, Romans 12:18 says this, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I think what the Apostle Paul is saying here is, hey, regardless of whose fault it is and, and how much fault is, is, is uh, involved in this conflict, try to resolve it. Live at peace with one another. On the second page of your handout, there are some blanks here that we'll fill in. You'll be going back and forth between the first and second page for a little bit. So the first one is go to the Word of God. You can fill those in, the Word of God. Number two is go to prayer. There's a scripture, Psalm 139, 23 through 24, and it goes something like this. Search Brian, O God, and know his heart. What translation Test you him from? and know his anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in him and lead him in the way everlasting. Amen. <laughs> you want another one, right? It was hard to find that verse, wasn't it? <laughs> Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Yeah, read it the way it says in my Bible. Really, it says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So it's not my responsibility to make him a better husband. It's my responsibility to be the best wife I can possibly be. Okay, I need to look inward in preparing my heart for, for an issue that we've got on the table and see what part, it may be 1%, 2%, maybe 10, 20% that is my part in this conflict. And I need to figure out what that is before I go to him and try to fix him because that's not going to work. Okay. Is your motivation to retaliate or to restore or is it to punish or pursue peace? Okay, and then this third one, number three, is when it's necessary, go find wise counsel. Contrary to maybe popular belief, it's not a weakness, a sign of weakness to go get counsel from someone. In fact, we see it as a sign of wisdom, that you know what your limitations are and you know you need to go get a third party to help you maybe work through an issue. Especially conflict, where there's a lot of emotion going on. You know, a lot of counselors will tell you that if they were facing themselves a very, very difficult issue, okay, that, had a, that was very emotionally charged, they would also go get help, even though they know the whole process of getting through it, but that emotion clouds you. Right. So we'd encourage you, if you need to do that, don't feel uh, um, unsure about doing that. Go ahead, but look for a biblical counselor as opposed to a broader term of Christian counselor. You want someone that's going to guide you biblically through the issues. Um, you may just need to find a mentor, a good biblical mentor, someone in the church, uh, someone that you've grown up with that you know that can really help you work through this. Men, if you do that, look for a man mentor. Women, look for a woman mentor. Make sure that you do that. So the bottom line is prepare your heart before you go into this conflict resolution. Uh, and the ultimate in heart preparation is to lay down your pride. So the next point, closing the loop, is to move toward the other person. And we call that lovingly confronting. Lovingly confronting. And here, here's the idea at this point you want to get in your head. You want to put the person over the issue. You want to put the relationship over the issue. You might want to jot this down. You can say, you are more important to me than this issue. You are more important to me than this issue. Can you kind of feel that safety net that I have right there? Yeah, there's a conflict, and we're darn sure going to be talking about it. Okay. Hurt, anger, but you're more important to me than this issue. Well, 
a number of verses talk about this. In John 1.14, John 1.14, John describes Jesus this way. He says, Jesus was coming full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. Ephesians 4.15, Ephesians 4.15 says, Rather, speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head unto Christ. And Ephesians 4.29, we've already talked about this in terms of communication, about building someone up, but it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Okay, so how do we do this? Well, a couple of things to fill in on your handout. Number one, use specifics, not generalizations. Use specifics, not generalizations. Generalizations are you always, you never, okay, if only once, all right? The problem is, is that the words always and never, they bring up that one time that it actually did happen, okay? And, and, and it just makes the other person angry, okay? The over-exaggeration, you're already in a defensive mode, okay? Instead of you statements, use I statements. I felt hurt. Okay. Number two, check the timing. Check the timing. You might want to put an asterisk by this one. Okay. Confronting somebody as they walk in the door or walk out the door, okay, or as their head just hit the pillow is not good timing. And we need to ask ourselves, are we going to have enough time to resolve this issue? And is this a good time for the other person? So, a third one, deal with one issue at a time. Deal with one issue at a time. Often, when we are talking with a couple about, so what's the problem? And I'm going to kind of use an ugly word picture here, all right? But the word picture is they will begin to vomit on each other. I mean, and literally, if you were just kind of standing back and sort of watching this, that's exactly what it looks like. They are skewing on each other. And even me, as an unattached, non-emotional observer trying to help them through this, at some point, it gets a little difficult trying to remember what the heck the problem is, because there's so many of them, okay? Well, the same problem is going to be true with you, except that you have emotion that's driving you. Pick one at a time. If there are more than one issue, write them down and then check them off, but one at a time. And number four. Expect a defensive reaction. Expect a defensive reaction. Okay? Seldom do I get up in the morning and I have my quiet time and I say to, 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 to uh, the Lord, Lord, you know, today search me and uh, point something out. And then when Edie points something out, I go, well, thank you, Lord, for, for uh, answering my prayer. No, I go, you know, I react. Okay? Defensively. All right? So expect it. Give your spouse some time to think about it. Give the Holy Spirit some time to work on them. Okay? Just expect it. All right. So let's review. We have uh, prepared our heart. We have lovingly confronted. And that leads us to the next step. Colossians 3.13 says this. Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Doesn't that sound like a command, that we should forgive each other? It's not an option. It's a command. Forgiveness has four different components. This is in your handout as well. You can fill in the blanks. Uh, my youngest daughter, our youngest daughter, sorry. <laughs> when she was in fifth and sixth grade intermediate school, she participated in a peer mediation program. And so we got to learn all these mediation techniques together. And one of them was the steps of forgiveness and, and restoring the relationship. Number one is to say, I am wrong. So you can fill in the blank there. I am wrong. This is the confession of the wrong behavior. You've got to understand and acknowledge what you did before you can ever ask forgiveness for it, right? That's number one. Number two, I am sorry. This is the emotion. I know I've hurt you. Number three, I don't ever want to hurt you again the way that I've hurt you. 
this means, when you say this, this means that you're broken, you are contrite, you're remorseful, you're repentant, all those things that the other person needs to feel and sense and hear from you. It means I understand what I've done. I don't want to do that to you again. And so I'm going to take measures to change this, and here's what that's going to look like. It's going to be different from here on out. And then the fourth and final step, number four, will you forgive me? When you ask this question, you need to remember something. Forgiveness comes at a cost. It's going to cost the person that you're asking the forgiveness from. Don't take lightly that you're asking forgiveness. Give them some time to process. Don't demand that they do it immediately. Give them some time to process and come around to that conclusion that they do willingly and readily forgive you. And when you ask that question of your spouse, when you say, will you forgive me, you're actually turning over the control to them. And you're giving them the opportunity to give a Christ-like response of grace. So it, it works on both sides. And, you know, something that we want to point out about these steps again, sort of understanding the steps, I want you to think about a car trip with the kids in the back seat, right? And I want to show you how quickly we skip over the steps, all right? She slides over that line, that imaginary line in the car, okay? And now she's on his side of the car, right? And now they're in a fight, all right? And he pinches her, okay? And now she's crying, okay? So what do we have here? We have hurt and we have anger, all right? And what do you do? You turn back and you say, you forgive her. You ask for forgiveness. Okay? Tell her you're sorry. You tell her you're sorry. You see? You see what we just did here? I mean... We all, we all do it. That's why we're talking about these steps. Okay, but forgiveness doesn't really close the loop. There's um, one last step, and that is to rebuild the trust. And this may actually be the hardest part. Your heart may have changed, but there's still some time that you need to have proven yourself to your mate, that things have really changed and you're doing things differently. It takes time, but we want it right now. So rebuilding trust is done little by little. You give each other some time. You talk about it if necessary. You revisit it to make sure that everybody's on track with what's going on. Um, you honor. You encourage each other. You have time apart, and you allow God to restore that relationship. I have a question. Mm-hmm. What if there's what if you're at a place where there's so much hurt built up that it's so difficult? But you know you're trying to get some stuff. Is it better to just go ahead and go through the motions of that? You know, and then, you know, the, the feelings of all behavior, or... Go ahead. Well, what's our option? And what's the other option? To not go through it, right? Right. Okay. So you're standing at that fork in the road, right? Do we let it go and it's unresolved conflict, or are we going to address it? And it can and be so, very painful trying to address it and go through it. Yeah, there's no kidding about this is not a this is not a fun topic to talk about. It's not a fun process. But ultimately, if we don't address it, and we may need to go get some help in addressing it, because there may be a lot of emotion. Okay, we're going to talk about uh, letting it go here in just a minute. But we would say, over a course of a lifetime, how many times are we going to offend each other? You've got to address it, okay? And ultimately, we're going to have to grant forgiveness to keep going. Well, that's sort of the loop on a high level, okay? But what we want to do now is to turn quickly and to address another aspect of, of emotion, uh, really uh, something that's built into conflict. But before we do, you, you want to give you want to get these books away? I'm not. Okay. Um, Somebody has a smiley face. Where do they have that smiley face? On the front face? page of your handout. Yeah. Oh, we have a winner. Smiley faces. <laughs> Ever so often, we want we want to make you aware of some really good resources on the particular topic, and this is a good one. It's by Tim and Joy Downs, and it's uh, their book is Fight Fair, and it really gives some good instruction as to how to do it right and how to do it not so right. Okay. So we're going, to, we're going to move now. We're going to look at different styles of communication, different, actually different styles of conflict resolution if you really get down to it. There, there's a number of different styles, and what we want to do is to help you understand 
how your style may be impacting your ability to successfully resolve communication. So, on your handout, there's going to be a page that says at the very top, R-L-E-N-F. Looks just like this, okay? Here's what I want you to do. We need to do this quickly, all right? I want you to read across, not down. I want you to read across. And I want you to think about this. How do I normally react when I'm in a conflict situation with my spouse? Okay? And I want you to circle every word as you read across. So, for example, you might find on the first line that passive fits you. Okay? We'll circle that. And then continue on the second line. You might see that optimistic and sensitive might. I don't know anybody that's like that personally, but optimistic and sensitive. Okay? Well, continue until you get each of the rows done. And then go to the column and then count up under R, L, E, and F how many you've circled and then put the number at the bottom. Okay? It can be multiple per row. It can be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. And don't dwell on it. Just tip, yeah, circle just, the ones. Just that... what strikes you, okay? This is not highly scientific. <laughs> okay? Let's take just a minute. How you typically respond in a conflict situation with your spouse, not at work, but with your spouse, okay? Circle every word on the row. Don't study it. Just, if you think it fits, circle it and move on. Don't study it too long. Just circle the words. And then when you get them all circled, total the number of circle words at the bottom. This is what mine looks like right here. You may not have anything circled. That's right. You may have zero at the bottom. That's right. That is correct. You may have all the words, words circled. You may have none of them circled in a row. Now, if you finished, you might want to go back and do this later. But the next part there in your handout is a place for you to graph your results, okay? And so if you graph your results, it might look something like this. It might not. But here's the point that we're going to try to make. Guess what? My conflict resolution style is very different than Edie's conflict resolution style. So let me ask you, if, if R was the highest number that you got at the bottom, okay? If you're an R, raise your hand. Okay, everybody look around. See, keep them up for just a minute. Okay, how about L? Okay, there's a couple, all right, there's some L's. How about E? Ah, a lot of E's, okay, and F's. Okay, F, did you see? There's a mix here, right? Well, we realize at this point that you have no idea what R, L, E, and F means, or how does this relate to our style of, of conflict resolution, but bear with us for a minute. We've got a video clip to help illustrate and to help you remember these four different conflict resolution styles, okay? So as you watch this little drama unfold, try to figure out if you're an R, an L, an E, and F, and who is an R, L, E, and F here? <laughs> Yes, sir. 
Do you think this is a game we're playing? No, sir. Do you realize how tough it is for a guy to make a buck these yes, days? Sir. Yes, sir. Do you think that the money grows on trees? No. Well, we'll see you later. Come yeah. on, sir. Come on, sit down. Oh, thanks, sir. I went to the fights last night. Fred, <laughs> please come in, will you? Come in, Ethel. Yeah, please, please come in. I, uh, Fred, I, I want to ask your, your advice on a certain subject. What subject? Well, tell me something, will you? How often is Ethel checking account overdrawn? Never. Never? How do you manage that? It's easy. I never had enough money at one time to open a checking account. <laughs> she spends money like I was printing it in the basement. <laughs> Let's face it, Rick. When it comes to money, there are two kinds of people. The earners and the spenders. Or as they are more popularly known, husbands and wives. <laughs> yeah. Brother, if they had to make their dollar, they would think twice before spending it that fast. Yeah. What's so tough about earning a living? Yeah. Have you ever done it? No, but I could. Ha! I could, too. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Listen, holding down a job is a lot more difficult than lying around the house all day long. Why? Well, 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 is that all you think we do? Yeah. <laughs> well, now, let's be fair, Rick. Every once in a while, they get up and play canasta. <laughs> Who do you think does the housework? And who do you think cooks all the meals? Yeah. Oh, anybody can cook and do the housework. Ha, I'd just like to see you two try it for a week. Okay, we will. We will? Yeah. <laughs> this I gotta see. I wanna get a load of Yeah, but wait a minute. You will have to go out and earn the living. Okay, we will. We will? Yeah, we'll change places. You'll get jobs and you take care of the house for a week, okay? Okay. 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 <laughs> this, uh, this is the prelude to one of the funniest Lucy clips where they're at the chocolate factory. Yeah, you've seen it, haven't you? Okay, so, who's, who, who's the R? Ricky, right. If you're a Ricky, I'm a Ricky, okay? Our primary approach to conflict is to win. And often what we're focused on is the issue. And we will put the relationship over the issue. Because, man, I'm ready to go. You want some of me? Come on. I'm, I'm ready and I'm willing to fight. Okay? And the relationship is not the key. The, the issue is the key. I'm going to win. Well, the question is, is, is this style ever preferable at all? And, you know, in some ways it is. If you need somebody that's, you know, can make a decision uh, in a difficult situation. Uh, yeah, some of those traits uh, are, are good traits, but we need to also be controlled by the Holy Spirit as we're dealing with conflict resolution in the context of our marriage. Well, L. L is Lucy. Lucy's in the crowd. Lucy is a persuader. Now, she was probably cooking up his favorite meal before he got home. Kind of soften him up a little bit, lighten up the, the way that she uh, was going to approach this. Now, Lucy's, um, they lighten the way a little bit because they tend to use humor when they get in a conflict situation, kind of make a joke or something. And that can be perceived by the other person as not taking it seriously or uh, being manipulative or sarcastic. Okay, so the Lucy's have to be real careful about that, not coming across as manipulative. Um, the good thing about the Lucy's is they're always willing to engage in the conflict. They're, they're willing to, to come to the table and, and, you know, discuss it, do something with it. But they're going to probably come across a little bit manipulative in the process. And then the E is Ethel. The Ethel style of dealing with conflict is generally very pleasing. Ethels are pleasers. Typically, this is me. I am willing to avoid the conflict uh, for the relationship. I'll, I'm willing to say, um, okay, that's fine. I'll deal with this later, and then I stuff it. It just goes somewhere inside, and at some point it just bubbles out. And that happened in our marriage. When you leave for a long it. time, Edie would do that. And so there was a volcano building. Kind of like Mount Redout in Alaska right now. It's getting ready, if it hasn't already, to blow. Okay. Generally, the Ethels are the people, though, that 
they make you want to sit by the fire and curl up in an afghan or they even say afghan anymore i don't know blanket with a cup of hot chocolate and people will just spill their gut to ethel it's amazing because she's such a good listener and she's so gracious and so caring and sensitive but what's going to happen to Ethel is she's going to build up a lot of resentment because her needs aren't being met because she's not making them known because she's so busy trying to keep the peace. So if Ethel is a pleaser, it can be a problem. Being pleasing can be nice and gracious, but you got to be careful. Well, F, the fourth, is, is Fred. Fred walks in, and as soon as he sees there's a conflict going on, he says, whoa, I'm out of here. I went to the fights last night, okay? Now, here's the interesting thing about Fred, and Ethel, actually, to some degree, and that is that Fred is an avoider, okay? And you go, well, okay, so he doesn't want to fight so much. But here's the interesting thing. When it comes to conflict, he's willing to forego the relationship in order to avoid the conflict, okay? He's willing to forego the relationship in order to avoid the conflict. So, does Fred, does the Fred style ever have any positive aspects? Absolutely. Especially when you're dealing with Rickies, okay? They tend to have a calming effect on, on the situation, okay? But, at some point, you need to resolve conflict. You need to be willing to engage. Well, look at your handout. Because if we, if we charted all four of these styles, we're going to realize that they have their drawbacks, each one of them, okay? And so what this chart that we have up here and on your handout is going to contrast is this. It contrasts people who have a low priority on the relationship to high priority and people who have a need for high control in a conflict to low control. So if you look at the lower priority on the relationship and high control, okay, who would be there, all right? Well, Ricky would be there, because that combination is characterized by the word win, okay? We're here to win, all right? Edie has said to me on a number of occasions, Brian, you are better at words in a conflict than I am. Do you want to win, or do you want to solve this? Here's your knife back, okay? Yes, all right? Well... There's another. Lower priority on the relationship and low control. The, the word here that would characterize that is avoid, and that's, that's Fred. Okay? Interestingly, as I said before, Fred is going to put a low priority on the relationship because he's more interested in avoiding conflict. Well, the third is higher priority on relationship and high control. The word there is persuade, and that's Lucy. She has a pri high priority on the relationship, but she also has a high need for control, okay? And she's going to use humor to deflect sometimes to manipulate. And then lastly, higher priority on the relationship and low control. Again, this is Ethel. A great priority is being put on the relationship, but she doesn't need a lot of control, okay? And she can stop. And when I say she, of course, this can be a he thing, too. Okay, this is not gender specific. So, no matter what your natural response is, we need to be committed. We need to be committed to Christ. If we're a Ricky, we need to let the Holy Spirit work. Okay? Somebody once said this, and I think it really applies to us Rickies. They said that spiritual maturity is the distance between the stimulus and the response. How long does it take you, okay, before you throw the gloves off and you're ready to go, at least for me, from a Ricky standpoint. I hope that that time is growing longer and longer. Well, Lucy's just need to be sure that they're honest, okay, and don't try to manipulate to get their way. Ethel's try not to be a pleaser, but to engage in resolution of the conflict. And then lastly, Fred's just need to come to the table. So here's the question. As you begin to kind of step back and you see the anatomy of a conflict, and then you see where you may actually be falling with respect to your style, do you see how your style can affect positively or negatively your ability to, to resolve conflict? 
Well, the goal, the goal is for all of us to move toward the center to resolve the conflict. I think if you look at Christ and we went through and looked at his life, you'd see that Christ has different aspects and he uses them appropriately of each, each one of these different aspects of, of resolving conflict. Okay. So, um, here's what we want to do. Let me move toward the application. Okay. So, so how do we apply this? All right. Well, uh, did, did you, yeah, everybody get one of these? Let me just quickly tell you what this is because I want to touch on this and then talk about the project. Here's what we want you to do. Everybody listen to me for just a minute. What we want you to do is to try and identify a small open loop in your relationship. A small, write that down, small open loop, okay? That's like hanging the toilet paper the wrong way and squeezing the toothpaste, okay, from the wrong end or, or, yeah, yeah, or which movie do we see, okay? And we want you to practice closing the loop, okay? We want you to have success. So we just want you to basically practice getting up on skis, if you will, and to be successful in doing it. Well, one of the things that can help us be successful is something called the speaker-listener technique. And I don't have enough time to unpack it totally, but let me just tell you very quickly how this can help you. All right? We're going to call this the floor. Okay? The speaker has the floor. And the rules, if you will, are written on this card. So if you start at the very bottom, the speaker has the floor. Okay? When the speaker has the floor, you're the speaker. When you don't have the floor, you're the listener. Okay? You're going to pass the floor back and forth. And in doing so, while you're speaking, you're going to stop from time to time and let the listener paraphrase. <laughs> so, Edie's going to say back to me, so what I hear you saying is, and she's going to fill it in with her own words, and then I will be able to say, no, that's not it at all. No, what he says is, are you kidding? That's not anything like what I said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we start, we back up, start over again. So you can use this to help guide you through. It's mechanical. Are we saying communicate like this all the time? Absolutely not. But when it's a hot topic, using this approach can help you avoid it blowing up. Okay? So, pick a small topic. Small little loop. Practice. Use the floor. Okay? Use this as the floor. Do not use a brick. Let me close this in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you that uh, you've given us much in Scripture to help guide us through difficult uh, conversations. And Lord, I pray that for each one of us that uh, we will get better and better uh, as we resolve conflict, as we deal with conflict, Lord, that we'll be, be more Christ-like uh, in our approach to the issue and, more importantly, to the relationship. In Christ's name, amen.